I'm How's Brandon. it going, comrades? You are listening to Historically, a show where we debunk myths and misinformation taught to you in schools and on corporate media. My name is JD, and this is my co-host, Isha. Today, we will be talking to Alexander Buzgalin, who's a professor at the University of Moscow. We will be talking about the economics and culture of the Soviet Union. Let's start the show. Okay, excellent. I just want to introduce ourselves. This, my name is Isha. I'm JD. I'm Brandon. Yeah, and thank you so much for joining us. And we all saw your interview with the Real News Network, and I think it's like very educational for Americans. So the first question I'd like to yeah. ask is: a lot of people in America. They, uh, well, what what was the state of the Soviet economy around the 1970s? First of all, the uh, Soviet economy had uh, some uh, positive and some negative features. It was a very contradictory system, and uh, this dialectic is very important for the understanding of the nature of Soviet economy. On one hand, we had a not small uh, rate of growth. It was around uh five six percent according to official statistics and uh, even a very critical statistic of our student economists uh, gave a minimum two three percent growth but i think the official estimation was more realistic because even the central intelligence agency also said that it was the rapid growth uh, second we had uh, good results in some spheres of economy uh, and uh, in particular in education, in fundamental science, in culture. And this is uh, very important spheres for, let's say, a new type of economy where creative labor is main productive force. Uh, also, it was very developed uh, military industrial sector, but this is very contradictory situation when we had from one hand high-tech production, very skilled specialists, and so on. From another hand, it was useless for consumption, for development of uh, um, civil uh, industries, and this is very important. From another hand, we had many negative features, and main feature was shortage of ordinary commodities, consumer goods and service for ordinary people. It was not hunger, it was not poverty, it was not bad level of life, but with problems to buy normal food, uh, fashion dress, and so on. Uh, also, it's necessary to take into the consideration that for ordinary people, from another hand, uh, was uh, no problem to have good rest in uh, hotels, in countryside, for free. For kids, it was opportunity to go to so-called pioneer camp. It was like a rest house, and don't know, hotel uh, with uh, organization of different sports, games, and so on. It was uh, free of charge and not bad health care, free of charge and very good education. So it was a really contradictory situation. I know that on your interview with the Real News Network, you'd um, attributed that to, I guess, I don't know if you would agree with the term command economy, but the idea that a bureaucracy was sort of directing things that you'd mentioned that it was it's very good at planning specific things, like for example, a military buildup or directing funds towards scientific advances, which makes me think of a similar model the US used for a lot of the technological advances that I think um, a lot of things here are built on today, 
but that it's not necessarily as good at responding to, say, a market or consumer demand. Is that is that correct? And that's the reason for the lack of consumer goods. So, uh, if you ask question now to me, uh, can I talk of a little? Sure, absolutely. Sure, you can talk as long as it's yeah. Yeah, yeah, that I didn't understand if you finished. So, uh, I will partly agree with you. It was very bureaucratic organization of uh, economic life. Uh, but it was not simply bureaucratic. It was also paternalistic bureaucracy. And the so-called privileges of bureaucracy was not so big. Uh, the level of the life of top party and state officials was like uh, middle class people in uh, in the united states maximum uh, upper middle class people they didn't have anything like millionaires or billionaires so uh, and the paternalistic bureaucracy created uh, as i said big contradictions and for poor population now poor part of russian population 25 years after collapse of the soviet union life in soviet union still is a uh, like a miracle, they think and they are right that life for ordinary people in Soviet Union was better. But this is true for 50% of the poor uh, people in Russia. For people who are in the middle, life now became better. They have uh, not much bigger incomes, but they don't have problems with consumer goods. Uh, from another hand, there is, uh, let's say, center, not middle class investment sense. The uh, main part of population has uh, now big problems, uh, threat to, to be jobless, uh, problems with good education for their kids, problems with health, and so on. Uh, for maybe 15-20% of the richest people in Russia, life became much better, and for 1% of the very rich, of course, it is much, much better. And this 1% has now power, and they are uh, now main defenders of the model of let's say, Russian capitalism, Jurassic Park, and they're main enemies of any forms of, um, not restoration, but dialectical negation and uh, utilization of some positive features of uh, Soviet economy. Wow. Um, okay, uh, JD, go ahead. Um, and now, can we move ahead uh, for a few years? And JD, you can ask your question now. In 1979, Brzezinski from the Carter administration, the war in Afghanistan would bankrupt the Soviet Union. Did the war in Afghanistan have any significant uh, impact on the Soviet Union? And if so, what was it? So this is big overestimation because the war in Afghanistan had no similar features, for example, with the war of uh, United States in Vietnam. It was much less uh, people involved in this war, much less resources, uh, much less victims, and so on. Uh, and the situation was not again uh, so simple because uh, Afghanistan uh, has not much better life when Soviet Union uh, withdraw his troops from Afghanistan. And influence for Russian for situation inside Soviet Union was not so big. Uh, it was one of the factors, but definitely not main. I think for real, uh, real problem, real main factor for um, crisis in Soviet life was not uh, formal economic problems. Even in last uh, five years, Soviet Union had uh, plus two, plus three percent. Only 91 
we had uh, zero. And, uh, for example, now during last five years, Russian economy has plus two, minus two percent. So sometimes growth, sometimes stagnation and so on. And it's not crisis, uh, deep crisis. Uh, main problem of Soviet economy and Soviet life in general was interconnected with the contradictions of attempts to build socialism. Because socialism uh, must uh, integrate uh, features of uh, market, features of uh, private initiative, some elements of previous uh, life, previous economic model. But uh, without new forms uh, such as real collectivism, real uh, solidarity, real enthusiasm and social creativity, socialism cannot exist. And in late 70s and 80s, uh, this, uh, I can say, communist trend was going down. We had more and more formal bureaucratization, more and more consumerism. And consumer society and economy of shortage, this is very deep contradiction. Uh, it's impossible to have it. And because we had the crisis of uh, top officials who also had intention to uh, make exchange. Uh, they had power, but they didn't have uh, money, capital, private property, and freedom to make what they want with their power. They were very restricted by bureaucratic and at the same time socialist rules of behavior. And the top nomenclature, which was, uh, which isolated itself from people, uh, because of the absence of control from below, this top nomenclature had real interest, motivation to uh, move in the direction of capitalism and to receive uh, money, capital, private property instead of uh, bureaucratic power with small privileges. This is the main reason. For one hand, uh, consumerism and the conformist uh, model of organization of, ordinary, of the life of ordinary people, uh, reason from another hand. Okay, um, and so so you said that the uh, people on the top, like of the bureaucracies, kind of wanted the consumerism. Um, so this is a follow-up from that. Like uh, uh, towards the, the late seventies, early nineties, Gorbachev, or I, I'm not sure who it was. Uh, maybe, uh, um, I wanted um, Glasnost and Petri. How do you pronounce that? Perestroika. Um, Perestroika. And was, were those policies really necessary, or was there a different agenda? Uh, so this is a very big question. Uh, period of Gorbachev reforms, so-called perestroika changes in uh, life, in all spheres of life, economic, social, political, uh, cultural life in our country were well, very deep. And these changes were, in some aspects, positive, in some aspects, very negative. As far as positive features of uh, late 80s, uh, I want to say that uh, democratization, and not only formal democratization, let's say bourgeois form of democracy, but also deep uh, attempts to start deep uh, democratization on the grassroots level, they were important. In late 80s, we had real attempts to have self-management of uh, ordinary people, participation in management of ordinary people in the enterprises, in uh, universities, in schools, in all forms of uh, production. And it was very positive trend. We had uh, interesting forms of uh, grassroots democracy 
and uh, democratic organization of the citizens, uh, reverse of uh, ecological green movements, and so on. And it was a really positive uh, trend, or maybe trend, better to say. Uh, but uh, these trends were um, only some elements of the reforms, and main reforms were oriented on the, let's say, capitalization of uh, our lives. And they were led by people who finally betrayed all socialist values. Uh, and among them, uh, such persons as Yakovlev, one of the leaders, or maybe the leader of ideological uh, group, uh, ideological department of uh, Communist Party, Gorbachev himself and some other persons who started from the slogans more democracy, more humanism, more socialism, and finally uh, lead uh, people to the right-wing neoliberal economic, social, and political trends. And it was uh, not uh, simple. Uh, for ordinary people, uh, capitalism had a lot of uh, positive features uh, because of the maybe very bureaucratic form of Soviet propaganda and uh, big propaganda from the West. Uh, for ordinary Soviet people, market was associated with supermarket where there are a lot of goods, but not with uh, competition, unemployment, inequality, and so on. Uh, for Russians, uh, for Soviet people in all republics of Soviet Union, uh, such uh, problem as unemployment, as poverty, as uh, absence of health care, it was simply impossible to understand that it could be. Like for citizens in uh, Central Africa to understand that tomorrow will be a snowstorm. Uh, it, it could not be 25 years without such problems. Why it will be come? And these illusions led to the crisis. I remember one very important meeting with uh, miners. Uh, they organized strike against uh, party bureaucracy. And I was uh, one of the persons who was speaking in their Congress, Congress of Strike Committees. And they said, we want to have capitalism like in the United States, because we want to have owners uh, or ownership of workers of the factories. We want to have real workers' control. We want to have real uh, equality of the people without privileges of bureaucrats. We want to have the right of ordinary workers to decide who will be prime minister, who will be uh, leaders of the country. So this was illusion. Uh, you can understand that the United States life is not is very far from the property of ordinary people on enterprises and real democracy and the opportunity of workers decide who will be president of the United States. Yeah? So this was uh, one of the very negative trends. And finally, a uh, key uh, force of uh, changes in peripheral periods was uh, union of uh, bureaucrats, strange, uh, but it was liberal-oriented party bureaucrats. Leaders of Communist Party were oriented on the liberal pro-capitalist reforms, and it is uh, true for leaders of Communist Party. So this is one hand, these bureaucrats, liberal-oriented bureaucrats. Another force, it was uh, so-called black marketeers, uh, criminals, uh, underground business people who wanted to legalize their criminal capital. And finally, they led to the criminalization of the economy when market was allowed. They made not uh, honest, but very criminal mafia type of capitalism market. And on the third part was maybe uh, naive liberal intelligent, uh, which had dreams about real freedom, real democracy, real human rights, but they received semi-feudal, semi-bureaucratic uh, capitalism. 
I use name capitalism Jurassic Park, uh, capitalism where huge monsters, bureaucrats, and oligarchs has all power. Uh, I this mean, is my explanation of contradictions. Yeah. Yeah, like here too. Um, like they claim we have freedom of speech, but for Americans, it's our employers that censor us. Like a lot of people get fired for tweeting out the wrong thing. So I, I did. Guess, Okay, he did. Um. <laughs> or posting on face, or posting on Facebook, Empl potential employers will search your Facebook now. Yeah. Oh so, yeah, absolutely. So it just seems that like uh, we don't have more human rights. It's just the person who oppresses us has changed. Do you agree? Uh, sorry, I finally I didn't understand what is the uh, what is the question. Uh, we praise We praise free speech here in the new, in the United States, and we contrast it favorably with the former Soviet Union, but we can get fired for that speech. So I guess what we're wondering is how much of a difference was there really between free speech in the United States and in the Soviet Union? Like, did, was one actually... So, I, will maybe, uh, so I maybe will comment your, your comments because um, uh, it's a very complex uh, system of questions. So, first of all, I did mention that uh, we had also big influence from outside. It was not decisive and uh, main factor, but it was important factor uh, because uh, all Western main Western powers uh, made a lot of efforts and it was efficient efforts to change situation in our country. Uh, it was everything, propaganda, cultural attack, uh, promises for our leaders, which they didn't realize, including promises not to increase NATO and so on and so far. So it was an important factor. And uh, another aspect which is important to say that after collapse of the Soviet Union, people had very big disillusions. And in early 90s, they had huge uh, demonstrations, strikes, rallies, uh, protests. Hundreds of thousands of people were in the streets and the squares. And that's the majority of the population were against liberal reforms, uh, which we had uh, in the early 90s. But uh, it was no real democracy and it was uh, no absence of real opportunity to fight for another world. Uh, this is also important comment which I wanted to stress. Okay, um, Brandon, you ha yeah, Brandon, you had a question that to follow up with the about the workers. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. To circle back around to um, what you were saying about um the like the miners that were striking they they said we want um we want capitalism we want the workers to be in charge of um of the workplace that sounds like socialism to me the workers own yeah, the means of production yeah so uh, the idea was we want to have real socialism but because the word socialism was discredited discredited by bureaucrats discredited by Stalin's terror uh, by economy of shortage uh, it was a mixture of everything as i said market and capitalism were associated with very uh, idealized uh, if i can say rose 
picture of capitalism uh, where Swedish model was the example, but uh, also Swedish model was much uh, very, very idolized without any real contradictions of even Scandinavian model. And uh, nobody was um, ready to understand that uh, after collapse, if we have collapse of Soviet system, we can have and we really had not a social democratic model of developed country, but neoliberal semi-feudal model of semi-periphery country. And this is very, very big difference. Uh, a lot of people were dreaming really about democratic socialism. It was also an idea of uh, positive convergence of positive features of capitalism and socialism. I'm not a big lover of this idea, but in any case, in uh, Russia, in Ukraine, even in Baltic republics, in Georgia, everywhere, in post-Soviet space, we received negative convergence. We received the combination of the most terrible features of uh, capitalism, uh, let's say 19th century capitalism, with uh, negative features of real socialism, such as bureaucratism, which we have now in Russia in terrible scale. Uh, and uh, other forms, negative uh, negative forms of uh, real socialism, which we had before. That's interesting, because I know that for the longest time, well, really, I, I think still in the United States, people have the mistaken idea that Stalinism is socialism and that socialism means Stalinism. I didn't realize that there were a number of people in the Soviet Union that believed the same thing. Huh. So it's not just you. It wasn't just U.S. propaganda. It was also it's true. And uh, huh. uh, you know, this is very uh, important and very complex question, because even in Stalin period, we had not only Gulag and uh, some millions of people who were arrested and killed in uh, um, camps uh, organized by Stalin's bureaucratic uh, clique, uh, bureaucratic uh, strata. But we had also real enthusiasm of people, real collectivism. Uh, our country was creating new cities, new enterprises, new culture, new army, new education and universities. It was real positive development in many, many spheres. And victory in Second World War was not uh, something accidental. It was a result of uh, positive features of Stalin's policy, if you want, uh, not only negative. Uh, that's why we have contradictions. Uh, also, we had after Stalinism only a few years in the 1960s of, uh, let's say, spring and democratization, but partial democratization. And uh, this period gave very big results in science, education, culture in economic and social development. But after that, again, bureaucratic stagnation and in some aspects, rehabilitation of Stalinism. Uh, for ordinary people, uh, as a result, Stalinism now, before and now, is associated not with Gulag, not with repressions, but with the state paternalism, with stability, with strong army, uh, with uh, security. The absence of, uh, I don't know, criminals in every corner and so on. This order, and uh, in 1990s we had terrible disorder and criminalization. So this is not a simple problem. And also there is another question, big question. Uh, we, I mean, the whole mankind, not only Soviet Union, not only modern Russia, 
we didn't have a relatively big and uh, positive experience of democratic humanistic socialism. That's why it's difficult to say that we can have uh, real, how uh, I can say, historical example, what can be and what should be uh, tomorrow, what kind of socialism can be in practice. We have only some elements. This is a big question mark. Uh, I will use one historical parallel. If we look on the capitalism in, I don't know, 17th, 18th century, it will be a very ugly picture. It will be uh, some of the elements of democracy, but mainly for aristocrats and uh, bourgeoisie. It was a mixture of uh, wage labor and terrible slavery, and not only in the United States. It was enormous poverty of workers, uh, huge forms of exploitation, colonialism. So if we say capitalism is a good system, in comparison with feudalism, it was better, objectively better. But uh, if you look on the practice, it was an ugly picture. Only in the end of 19th, in the beginning of 20th century, capitalism showed positive features. Uh, and uh, only when workers' struggle, communist struggle, social democratic struggle led to the more or less normal system of this, uh, how to say, uh, two-thirds society, social democratic model of capitalism, it became more or less suitable, more or less. And now again, we have a lot of negative features. So that's why we have, uh, we had the Soviet Union and other countries only first attempts to build socialism. And of course, they had mutant forms, uh, terrible contributions. So we must have real dialectical analysis to set positive trends to understand why we had mutations, why we had these forms of terrorism. But uh, firstly, I think it's very important to make rehabilitation of positive experience of uh, Soviet Union, of other countries of real socialism, uh, to show that they gave fundamental great science, uh, beautiful culture, wonderful results in education. I think it's important. And it's important for Western left because in Western left, uh, typically there is also picture socialism is Stalinism or real socialism is only Stalinism. Uh, and uh, democratic socialism must be something absolutely another than we had in Soviet Union and Czechoslovakia and Poland and GDR, German Democratic Republic and so on. I think now it's time to start again re-examination of uh, experience of real socialism and to take into the account positive features of this period. It's time for renaissance of uh, socialism, not for nostalgia, not for idealization, but for renaissance. Like in Italy, renaissance of um, antique culture was not uh, rehabilitation of uh, slavery, permanent civil wars, uh, and uh, a lot of other negative features of uh, this period of uh, Classic Greek, uh, I don't know, life or Roman Empire and so on, or Roman Republic. It was a renaissance of culture, of science, of uh, humanistic spirit. The same with Soviet Union. We need the renaissance of humanistic spirit of Soviet culture, of uh, some forms of uh, socialist enthusiasm, of uh, everyday life of people for whom money was not main god. Uh, and even of heroism, it was a mass heroism of millions of people who were ready to live their lives 
to be killed in order to build new society. It's very important and very unusual for modern Western life. I will use one experience. I am sorry for this long uh, contribution, but it's important. I had big dialogue with the militants of peace movement, trade unions in Germany, and I put question. Are you ready to be killed for victory of socialism? Who are ready? If you, it will be 100% that your death will lead to the victory of socialism. It was no one hand. Nobody was ready. And in Soviet Union and other countries, millions of communists were ready and they did it during revolutions, during wars, during peaceful but very difficult work. So this is a big question. It's not simple. And if you want to have socialism instead of capitalism, it will be a struggle. Even peaceful struggle will be very difficult. And it will be not only peaceful struggle, let's be honest. Capitalism created roads where millions of people are killed every year. We are living in a world where people are killed by poverty, by wars, by hunger, by drugs, by everything, and suicides. So if you want something in other, it will be difficult, terrible, but very beautiful and heroic work. So this is also experience of real socialism. I'm sorry for long. Oh, no, this was really good. No, Um, no, that's great. Actually, Okay. Oh, Isha, if I could, um, go sorry, ahead, Brendan. Keep butting in, but I had one um, one follow up. It's um, I can I definitely understand the value of, I suppose, a dialectical analysis by socialists today, especially in countries other than Russia, like America, to have a dialectical analysis of the history of the Soviet Union, the good and the bad. So we, in order to understand, I guess, to better understand where we should go from here, to draw the lessons that we can. However, some would argue, though, that when, I guess, when talking to the public, when trying to convince other people who aren't socialists that, um, that socialism is good, that it may be too difficult to try to re- to try to get past or overcome their negative view of the Soviet Union, and it might just be easier to go to just um, to talk about democratic socialism in a different way to buy bi- like to bypass that, avoid talking about Stalin altogether, and just talk about how um, some people have termed it as democracy in the workplace. So, uh, would, would you agree with that, or do you, yeah. do you disagree with that approach? So, uh, this is another big question, and unfortunately, I do not have much time now. It's late night in Russia, and tomorrow I have classes early morning, so I'm sorry. I try to be quick. Uh, first of all, for understanding your future of socialism, it's very important to uh, stress. Uh, for ordinary consumerist, uh, consumerist, oriented people, I don't know if it, is it possible to say in English, for ordinary conformist people who have uh, not bad living conditions, uh, opportunity to buy in supermarkets what they want, uh, and some social guarantees, uh, socialism is uh, really useless. Socialism is necessary for people who want to be creators, who want to be not only consumers, uh, who want to 
uh, work uh, in atmosphere of uh, mutual respect and uh, I can say interest of one people to another people. Uh, in the world where there is dialogue between people as subjects, uh, not formal relations between people as alienated, uh, I don't know, puppets, uh, alienated robots, uh, people who are only trying to show. I have Port uh, Focus, you have Port Mandela, so if you have Port Mandela, you are a little better than me, but if anybody has Mercedes 500, he is better than those who have Port Mandela. For such type of people, socialism is impossible to be it's uh, not the goal. And uh, such consumer society found and lead people to the deep crisis. Uh, and this is one of the big problems. But for a uh, new generation of people where creative activity is necessary because of technological transformation, because of economic transformation, because of new productive forces, I can use uh, Marx's characteristics, uh, for these people, uh, self-management in the enterprise, in school, in university is important. For these people, it's important to have uh, guarantees of interest in work. Uh, for these people, it's interesting to have opportunity for solidarity and common creation of a better life, not only for all themselves. And this is a new system of values. Uh, like in uh, transformation from feudalism to capitalism. For peasants who were semi-slaves, uh, the only goal was to have better lord. This lord is big, bad. I want to have lord which will be better. I want to have more bread, and that's it. It was no idea that we want to have uh, initiative, private property, money. It was impossible even to imagine. New type of people came as a result of real transformation of everything. Values, religion, culture, ideology, social structure, everything. The same with transformation to socialism. And when we are talking, it's not uh, only problem to say you will have little better life and instead of, I don't know, Fort Focus, you will have Fort Mandela. The key question, uh, or not Mandela, I don't know, Mandela, I'm sorry, I'm not a good specialist in the car. Uh, so the key question is, uh, to show them that they will have absolutely another type of life with much more beautiful and interesting values. This is key question. And also, I think it's important to integrate uh, different uh, practical examples. Examples of uh, interesting NGOs where people are working together in solidarity. They have normal living standards, but they have another goals experience of uh, universities and schools where there is real self-management and social guarantees. The experience uh, in culture where we have very interesting results. And uh, I will stress again, I think uh, it's extremely important to uh, start maybe even propaganda, I don't like this word, but maybe propaganda <laughs> of Soviet culture and culture of other uh, real socialist countries. It was beautiful movies, books, uh, poems, uh, theater, uh, where people in these books, in these cinemas, in these uh, films, they were living in another atmosphere. They had another conflict. They had another contradiction. Uh, contradictions interconnected with, I don't know, their results in social creativity. Who is better, me or you? Who created better 
conditions for future people. They were trying to bring something for people, and it was not a uh, dream, it was not uh, idealized picture, it was real dramas, real practices, and real pictures of this. So if we use this, and if we bring this to the people which are living today, I think it can be important because young generation is looking for something new, for alternative to consumerism. It's like in the 60s, when hippie came as alternative to consumerism, but they led to the free love drugs and uh, anarchism. Now it's a new challenge, but we must show them that uh, it's necessary to have not uh, individual illusions of alternative, but practical common alternatives in solidarity and common social creativity. So this is my explanation. Thank you for listening to Historically. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Twitter as at Historically. We would like to keep this show ad-free and independent. This show is brought to you by our generous patrons on patreon.com slash historic underscore ly. Please consider contributing today.